Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, it's December 6th here in 2020, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your favorite Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman this week. Today's show, 385 with Forbes is Chris Grenham is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag right now today for your exclusive sign-up bonus. All right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome in, everyone. Evan Valenti, solo, no Kaufman today. He's, you know, got a crazy schedule. I get it. Trust me, understandable. Not the first time or the last time I'll do this solo, but thankful that you guys are with me here, uh, here on this Sunday as we get ready to record here with my man, formerly of CLNS, right? Formerly at one point, they moved on to Nesson. Now with Forbes, Chris Grenham. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, it's your first time on the show. It's never happened before. I don't know how this didn't happen. I usually try. Now, I had the show for a bit before Adam got it, took over uh, for Larry back in the day. And I checked, you know, I try and get the CLNS guys on, whether you're past, present. Um, I, I like Weiss has been on the show a bunch. I've had Joe Sway on the show quite a bit. You know, now that Cedric Maxwell is part of the family, we have Max on every once in a while. But, Chris, my bad. My bad, bro. We didn't have you on until right now. I appreciate you being the – uh, uh, flexible here today and coming on for the first time. Yeah, of course. It's tough to compete with Cedric Maxwell, so I can't. I, I can't really blame you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but thanks for having me on. It's rough, bro. Trust me. Now, honestly, it's funny to me because, like, here we are, it's December sixth, and this season is basically two weeks away. I mean, it's crazy it change, right? Absolutely ridiculous. I, I'm not. I don't think I'm like. I'm gonna be as soon as the ball's tipped, like in the air, like I'm gonna be ready to go. But I'm not. I'm personally like not ready mentally for this season yet where are you at right now yeah I'm curious to see if the teams are going to be ready to go especially a team like the Celtics who you know they were in the final four teams they haven't had that long of a layoff it's not like the Cavs or the Hawks or teams that have been sitting around those guys are itching to go Celtics the Heat the Lakers there's a there's a couple teams that are sitting on not a lot of rest and I'm very curious to see how that goes obviously the Celtics are already dealing with some some injuries but that's what I'm most curious to see I I could watch basketball year round without any breaks. So personally, I'm ready to go. I, I love it. Yeah, I, it's funny because this is the off season, right? And and you've seen it over the past couple of years. Like Tatum and Brown, they take the off season extremely seriously. Like I love some of the off season content. Like Jalen always comes out with some seven part video series where he's working out in Atlanta and you know boxing with his his grandfather <laughs> and, and doing a bunch of cool workout stuff. And then you see you you see him in like T Mac. Like he was at T Mac's house, I think last year, mm-hmm. doing some stuff with him. And that, you know, as a, a '90s basketball fan, that made my heart like full as hell. I loved watching that. And then you have Tatum; he's he works out with Drew Hanlon, and him and Beal get after it. You know, one of the things I am concerned about, and it's interesting because the teams that haven't played in a long time have had such a, a bigger off season to kind of work on their games. I'm a little worried about this off season, specifically for Tatum and Brown only because it's been so short and like how much can those guys really, I mean, they had the layoff in between, but they couldn't do anything between really between when the league was first shut down in March. And then when the the season resumed back in July, like you had some time to maybe work on some strength stuff, maybe work on some shooting, but you couldn't really get into a gym and, and run it all. And now, you know, you look at the truncated off season, like I am, you know, we were accustomed to seeing leaps from Tatum and Brown every single offseason. Are you worried about that a little bit with this short offseason? Not just Tatum and Brown. You look at Grant Williams. Uh, you look at Tremont Waters. You look at, 
other younger guys, Rob Williams and the team. I, I'm a little concerned about that and how, yeah, how I think little you, time they've had to recover. I think you kind of have to be, right? Because I'm right. like you said, they normally are used to this longer extended schedule in the offseason when they go through their summer workouts with guys like Drew Hamlin, you know, whatever. They go through their routines and they take these leaps and a lot of that relates back to those those rigorous workout schedules. Now you got guys who just work their tails off for the month of November and then they're right back into training camp. So it's a completely different schedule. I'm a little worried about the expectations with some Celtics fans because like you said, Celtics fans are so used to Tatum taking these giant leaps every year. You know, what he was even at the beginning of last season compared to what he was in February, it was a different player. It was it was unbelievable. And so to expect him to continue making those leaps in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, he's probably going to take another good step forward. And I still think he is, but I don't think it's going to be as big um, as a lot of people hope it might be. That being said, I think he'll still make progress. I think Jalen will still make progress. But for those younger guys like Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Tremont Waters, it's tough because that is a crucial time when they get a lot of good runs in. And I know guys like Tremont were working really, really hard um, with different trainers. He was in Miami. Grant Williams was out in Santa Barbara working with a lot of guys and Miles Turner. So you hope there is still that progress, but again, it might just not be as large as we're used to. Yeah. And and let's be real here in terms of like the leap that Jason Tam could make. I'm not quite sure how big of a leap he can go from where he is now to what he could be potentially. Right. And the thing with Tatum was, Last year specifically, you know, he his leap came in the middle of the year. You right. know, it's, it's, we talked about it a lot last year where as soon as he was listed as an all-star player, it was like, oh, bye. It was like, it just like, it gave him the confidence that he needed to really take that jump. And, and, and Brown, again, I've, I've been so impressed with Brown, basically how steady he is from start to finish. I mean, there's just, he's always ready every year now to be, as soon as he, the ball gets rolled out there, He's from game one as consistent as, as he needs to be, but this year's going to be a little different. And you talked about it early, earlier on in the podcast. This team is ravaged already with injuries. I mean, you're going to have Tristan Thompson. You now he's going to take most of training camp off and hopefully is ready to go game one. We'll see how that goes. I, again, I, I, you know, I would rather have him rest a little bit longer and not be ready for game one than to, to take a risk there. Romeo Langford's not going to be ready until, I don't know, you want to, you want to call it January. February, maybe February, maybe. Yeah. yeah somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. And then you, then there's the whole thing about Kemba Walker that, you know, we're going to get to in a little bit, but how concerned are you? And like, I, I guess how tempered are your expectations already? Considering like the Celtics schedule to start, you know, isn't easy. I mean, their first two games are what Milwaukee and Brooklyn. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the top two teams in the East, no big deal. How are you already like preparing yourself? Like don't overreact to the first couple of weeks because this team is not even close to what they're supposed to be by the time we get to the end. here. 100%. I think there's a lot of factors playing in here. You've got the tough schedule. You've got the lack of off-season. You've got the condensed off-season. And then you've got a a lot of injuries here that are big. They're big injuries. I mean, with the lack of wing depth, the Romeo Langford injury is pretty major because they are shorts. They're going to need a guy like Aaron Neesmith to really step up, and that's not going to happen right away. So, yeah, you're going to have to temper those expectations because they've got a tough schedule and they're going to be shorthanded right off the bat. And you're going to be looking for those young guys to contribute, even young guys like Neesmith and Pritchard who have no professional experience. So that doesn't really happen right away. You're also banking on a guy like Jeff Teague who has a short amount of time to get used to Brad Stevens' system. You know, he's never played for Brad. It's not like you're plugging in Brad Wanamaker who was ready to go at any time. He he was used to Steven's style and whatever. That was fine. And Brad Stevens said it the other day, uh, yesterday on Saturday in his press conference, you know, I, there's been a couple times where we've been going through various things and Jeff Teague has kind of had to pause and look over his shoulder, and be like, you know, what the hell does that mean? So it's, there's going to, it's a work in progress. So yeah, you're going to have to temper those expectations because there are going to be points in the first month, maybe more of this season where it's not pretty, but again, for the Celtics, they have bigger goals in mind. And so it's that's okay. That's kind of part of what this season is going to be like, and it's going to be like that for a lot of teams. But the Celtics, for sure, you're going to have to temper those expectations. Yeah, I'm sure Celtics fans are going to fall right in line with that because they're really reasonable people. Without question. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, look, you talk about the, the Romeo injury, and, and that's just, it stinks just because, you know, I, I actually really enjoy Romeo. And, I, and I, when they drafted him, I, I saw exactly what the plan was. It's like, well, here's a highly ranked – you know, high school kid 
from Indiana um, that they clearly have watched a lot of, and they're just like, all right, well, he played through a, you know, a bad thumb on a shooting hand for an entire season and still dropped like 20 a game. It's still pretty impressive. So I, I understood that. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll come back and, you know, at least be good enough defensively to stay on the floor. Then, you know, the offense will come and go, but that was the big injury that they got, to, we got to talk about here is the Kemba knee thing. How worried are you about Kemba's knee and, and how the Celtics are going to try and manage that throughout the entire season? I mean, I think now at this point, if you say you're not, at least a little bit concerned from the Celtics perspective, then I, I don't know if you're crazy, if you're a liar, I'm not really sure, but I think you have to be worried, right? Yeah. Because this is an injury where even after he had that long layoff before the bubble and he took it very easy on it, got treatment on it. Still, it was a problem in the bubble. You, it was very evident that he was not hundred percent. And now he's going to miss, you know, some significant time early in the season. And it just seems like it's lingering. And I know They've sought the advice of a lot, a lot of medical professionals, yeah. and I am not a doctor. I have no right. idea really what the smart method here is. Clearly, they they went with the right one with the stem cell injection, and he seemed very happy with it. The Celtics seem happy with it, and hopefully that's a good way to manage him going forward. Long term, it has to be a concern because it, it's just been lingering. And so, you know, when you talk to people around the league about Kemba's knee, Everyone will say, yeah, Kemba's had knee problems since he was at Rice in high school. You know, this has always kind of been a thing. So it's whether it's managing it moving forward, whether it's next offseason, do they look towards surgery if that's still hanging around? I'm not really sure, but you have to be concerned at, at this point. It just from a long-term perspective, you got to be a little worried. It just uh, bums me out because you have, you know, Isaiah Thomas, unfortunately, you know, with his injuries, un- got shipped out. You know, Kyrie was never Kyrie. And the, the, the Kyrie they were looking for never really facilitated because his knee issues in the first year. And then, of course, he checked out uh, at the end of the second year. Gordon Hayward, we can go all day on Gordon Hayward's injury troubles, and it's just been frustrating. I'll be honest, I was shocked last year that Marcus kind of made it through the whole year without getting hurt because it yeah. seems like right before the year starts, and like so, in, in whether it was with Summer League or whether it was in the preseason, like Marcus would do something stupid. And I'm not saying stupid, but like it's hard to turn off your competitiveness when you're Marcus Smart, he would always do something ridiculous to get hurt. In the first, like, like a week out of the season, you're like, Marcus, like, it's it's 35 to 12 in the third preseason game. Like, chill out, guy. Diving like, through the front row, yeah. Yeah, it's like, dude, save that for the regular <laughs> season. Like, chill out. Uh, but, like, this, this kind of thing, I, I am concerned. And it's just because you saw him before the injury. He was he, exactly what they needed. And it's funny to, to see his style – contrasted with Kyrie, contrasted with Isaiah, you know, Kemba's such a great north-south player. And he doesn't really – the one thing that would drive me crazy about Kyrie, and it drives people crazy about Harden too, where you, like, just fool around and try and get guys off balance with dribbles and then find the right angle and attack. Like, Kemba doesn't waste time. Catches the ball on the deck, sprints to the basket, and, like, gets the angle that way. And they desperately need that and because they're not – you know, as much as I've been impressed with Jalen's ball handling ability, like he him getting into the lane, you know, off his dribble all the time is something that's just not going to happen. And, and Tatum's working on that and that part of his game. But Kemba's really the only guy on their roster with actual NBA experience of doing that over and over and over again. And you need someone like that. And, and I mean, you're not going to need it when you play the, you know, the Knicks or whatever, but you're going to need that when you play some of these upper echelon teams, guys that can get in the paint either draw contact, get to the free throw line, or kick it out to three open three-point shooters. There's nobody else on the team that can do that with the same consistency. And their offense, as you saw throughout the the postseason there, you know, it, it, when they can't get that, it just really bogs down. And it becomes, like, way too hero ball And that's mm-hmm. not what this team needs, Chris, at all. Yeah, you need a creator like Kemba to kind of bring it all together. And you're right. If you don't have that, it can create some issues. It can create some pretty stagnant offensive patterns, which we've seen in plenty of third quarters over the last couple of years that it, it can get ugly pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's totally a problem. I think on a, on a positive standpoint, if you're trying to pull a positive from this, which there really isn't many, but <laughs> Kemba, it helps that Kemba is such a good teammate and a good guy, because when you have guys like Tremont and Peyton Pritchard and Carson Edwards, to have a guy like Kemba around, hurt or not, it still does matter. You know, last year he's talked a lot about working with Tremont Waters. 
and kind of taking him under his wing a little bit, like that does go a long way for younger guys. So if you're trying to get a kid like Peyton Pritchard to contribute right off the bat, it's not a bad thing to have Kemba Walker there working with him and talking to him off the floor. You know, obviously he can't run with him on the floor and, and work through different drills, but that does go a long way too. So it is still beneficial for the younger guys, but from an offensive standpoint, it's going to be tough as Jeff T kind of gets used to the Celtics system because He's not as explosive as he used to be. He's not as quick off the dribble as he used to be, but he's still effective. And he was in kind of a tough spot last season. So I'm very curious to see what he can bring to the offense and how quickly he can sort of find his rhythm in, in Brad's system. Yeah, I actually was going to bring the Jeff, Jeff Teague thing up. Like you mentioned, yeah. how it's great for Pritchard and it's great for Tremont Waters. And, you know, it's great for Smart in a way um, yeah. and Carson Edwards. But it's also really great for Jeff Teague, a guy that's – you know, kind of been around the block a few times and hasn't played with Brad, obviously, but to have a guy in Kemba who's only been in the system for a year, right, but has right. acclimated in the system very quickly, it helps to have a Kemba Walker if you're, you know, you're Jeff Teague and you're like, all right, hey, like, Kemba, like, what, you know, this is what I'm seeing. You know, how did you get over this last year? You know, how, how did you um, acclimate, you know, last year? Again, having other teammates around him helps, no question about that. But how I look at this team and that guard depth, absolutely scares the crap out of me. It really does. I mean, it's really Marcus, like, and then you're banking on Jeff T doing something. And then one of the young guys has got to play. We'll get into Pritchard in a little bit because I have some thoughts on that. But this guard depth, I mean, they can't sustain another blow at all. Yeah, the guard depth is concerning. The real concerning thing for me is the guard depth, com- the lack of guard depth combined with the lack of wing depth because you're just looking, the Celtics bench is shallow and it falls off really quickly. And so that's why you're really hoping for those guys, those new draft picks, Neesmith, Pritchard, to really contribute right off the bat. Because if you don't, you could run into some real, real trouble pretty quickly, especially, like you said, if you land another injury there. So you're going to have to rely on Teague to really hold up his end of the bargain because that bench is, man, I I, I don't know. It, I agree with you. They're short depth-wise, and the combination of the wing depth and the guard depth is is not a pretty picture. Yeah, I want, I want to get back to the guards in a minute, but I want to take a quick break to tell everybody that today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NFL football continues on this week. A few surprise teams at the top of the standings, like the Cleveland Browns, putting a smackdown on Tennessee today. You're going to absolutely make a wild card spot. No question about that. Like, I, I'm, I'm shocked that they're as competent as they are considering the transition from Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski. It's unbelievable. And while you might not be at a game this year, you can still get on the action at betonline.ag, and they have their NBA title odds up already. Lakers, of course, the favorite, LeBron, Anthony Davis, past champions. How do you not? Plus 275, Bucks at plus 600. I'm not buying the Bucks at all, uh, ever, really, unless Coach Bud isn't the coach of that team, or if Coach Bud actually decides to play Giannis 35 minutes a game. That also might go a long way. Nets plus 650. Of course, I'm out in that until I see it. Clippers plus 650. Celtics there at plus 1600. And one of my favorite bets out of all of them, because such a long shot in terms of the odds, but if you look at the talent and team, I, I, it's got to be better odds than this. The Sixers at plus 2,500. Doc Rivers with, with Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid, they'll either make the finals or blow a 3-1 lead either way. No matter how the schedule changes or the players that play that online, it's going to be extra mile to make sure you can get on the action every single game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager on than anywhere else online. You can make up your own custom bets as well. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great mid-season bonuses, offers, and contests. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Evan Valenti, Chris Grennan from Forbes, talking seeds here on a Sunday. Celtics speed. And we got in a little bit of the guard depth here, and it's actually a great story pinned uh, to Chris's uh, Twitter feed right now if you want to check that out about Peyton Pritchard. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But the one thing that I think I've come up with, and I think other people have also theorized this as well, the Peyton Pritchard pick makes way more sense when you factor in the Kemba injury news, okay? And when they were picking at that pick, was it 26, right? I think Pritchard was 26. Mm-hmm. There's some guys in that range you'd heard about that were, you know, tossed around. You heard about Desmond Bain on a TCU was a guy that, you know, I guess the Celtics kind of liked. I liked him quite a bit. Um, I know everybody was obsessed with Tyrell Terry from Stanford, and how can you not? Guys, fun as hell to watch. And then it, the pick comes, and it's Peyton Pritchard. And I'm like, 
All right. Okay. Uh, let's go watch some film because I haven't watched a ton of him because he plays in the Pac-12 in the West Coast. And unfortunately, like, that's past my bedtime. And, you know, you, you watch him play a little bit, and it starts to kind of make sense because you have an experienced guy, four-year player at Oregon, uh, was a, you know, a superstar high school athlete uh, in the state of Oregon, um, but played all four years at, at, uh, at Oregon in the Pac-12, was a Pac-12 player of the year this year, was a finalist or player of the year in the NCAA, four-year senior. I mean, he checks off a lot of boxes. And if you're looking at, you know, and it's obvious that Danny wanted to make a pick at guard, it made more sense to me, Chris, to go with Pritchard over Terry because it, I think Peyton's body is a little more NBA ready right now. And his experience, I think, was the big thing and choosing him over a guy like Terry or a, Tyler, a guy like Desmond Bain. Uh, you agree with me on that? Without a doubt. I mean, I know draft Twitter and Celtics fans wanted the spicy pick, and that's certainly not Peyton Pritchard. But I was a big fan of Pritchard down the stretch of this long, long pre-draft process. And again, like you said, he makes a ton of sense for what the Celtics needed. And of course, more than anyone, the Celtics were well aware of, of what they were dealing with when they were sitting in that war room on draft night. They've got Kemba, who they know is not going to be ready for the season. So they need someone like Pritchard, who is experienced, like you said, four-year guy at Oregon. He's going to be able to come in and just run the offense for various stints. That's what they need. They don't need a guy who could come in and, again, he's not the greatest defender, but he's not going to really kill you on that end like like Terry would get exposed on that end. You need someone who you can trust. And hopefully, you know, it's rare for Brad to throw a rookie who he doesn't have a ton of experience with into a big role very early, but he, he might not have that much of a choice as we, as we get rolling here. So I think the Pritchard pick makes a lot of sense for what the Celtics need. He's a reliable playmaker. He's a smart playmaker and he can score. And so you needed a potential backup point guard down the road. You needed some scoring off the bench and without really knowing it at the time, the Celtics needed a guy who could play that backup guard to Teague because Kemba wasn't going to be around. And Pritchard is that guy. He's got better size, like you said, than a lot of the other prospects at that around that area who are uh, guards that were available. And I, I like him a lot. I know people criticize the pick because he wasn't terribly high on a lot of people's draft boards, but I think Celtics fans are going to really like him. He plays really hard, and I, yeah. I think he can. I think he can help him a lot. He can really shoot. I mean, he can yeah. really shoot. Yeah. Um, he has great. Uh, great handles. I mean, his dribble his is, handles is his handle is his best feature without question. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah. you watch some of the videos that he puts out and you're like, it's like mesmerizing really. It's an, it's an NBA asking. handle without question. Yeah. Without yeah. And his, his vision is fun. Like, you know, when they're pushing the pace and one thing I like about him and, you know, Tommy Heinsohn would love this is a guy that he, as soon as, you know, if it's a rebound, they want to get out in transition. Like he demands the ball and he gets out and runs. And it, this yeah. is a team that likes to play a little more up tempo with the athletes they have especially on the wing, makes a lot of sense to have Pritchard, who's a guy that's definitely going to force the pace and push the pace as much as humanly possible. And I love his vision. I mean, there are times when, and again, Schmitz did a great job, Mike Schmitz, of course, Draft Express, ESPN, did a great job talking with him about some of the really advanced reads he's going to have to make at the NBA level at, at, in some capacity to really uh, open up everything for him. But it's not like he has terrible vision either. It's not like he's like a – he's not, you know, Jalen Brown when he first came out of college, like, you know, just that one singular plane of vision. This guy sees the whole floor and he's got an array of moves. He's a good job of keeping guys off balance. Um, I'm a little optimistic in terms of how he'll be able to play right away. He just seems kind of like a guy. And again, this is tough because again, you have a a shortened off season with all the things we've talked about, but I think he's a guy that makes, a lot of sense in terms of where they picked him in terms of like, they want a guy that's ready to play right now. I don't think he's going to be totally phased by a lot of things. He seems like a guy that, again, as you said, works really hard on his game. Um, he's already with, you know, Grant Williams playing settler of Catan, trying to get, uh, you know, at least friendly with everybody else. Um, I think, I don't I think I saw somewhere that people have already talked about how hard he's already working to try and fit in. I, I think I saw that quote somewhere. I think it might've been Grant yesterday, mm-hmm. the day before, um, are you confident in terms of his ability to play meaningful minutes early on in the season? Yeah, I, I am, but I, I don't necessarily think right off the bat because with all rookies, the no summer league, the shortened preseason, the shortened training camp, that does pile up. And 
summer league and preseason and training, those are valuable tools for, for a rookie, a four-year college player, or a one-and-done kid. It doesn't really matter. That, that's valuable time. And so I don't necessarily think it's going to be right off the bat, but it could be three weeks into the season, and, and that alone would be, would be valuable for the Celtics. So more than a lot of the other prospects that were on the board, I trust Pritchard to come in, be able to run the offense to a point where Brad can trust him when they need a spot out there. And again, I, I just think that he can, he can provide that playmaking like we just talked about, but he can also provide the scoring and he's not going to go and turn the ball over four times because he's trying to make ridiculous passes and where he's patient, relatively composed. You know, I just, I think he fits the mold for what the Celtics need while Kemba's out. And, and I think he's going to be pretty valuable. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I think he can contribute early on. It just might not be as, as soon as some fans hope. Yeah. In the same vein though, you have Neesmith who I think they will definitely rely on way more to start the year. I mean, I hope he's ready for it. And if you look at, you're talking about the lack of wing depth. I mean, especially with Romeo out, it's, yeah. it's Jason Tatum. It's Jalen Brown. Uh, you, you look at maybe Grant as a guy that can fill in somewhere because he just, you know, he's kind of a mobile, uh, a chess piece, so to, so to speak, but there's Neesmith right there. And, you know, Marcus Smart is a, is one through five. So obviously he can play any position at this point. Um, but Neesmith, the opportunity is like obviously there. And you look at him, I, the shot is something that you can talk about to the top, the cows come home. But I think there's real defensive versatility there that I don't think we really got to see a lot of because he only played in 14 games. Like, I don't worry. Everybody's like, oh, you know, he only played 14 games. How how reliable is that shot? I'm like, well, he took eight a game and hit half of them. It's pretty good. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, I'm not worried about that. The one thing I think we missed out on is a, a growth from him defensively. And he's talked about that with a lot of people in terms of how, you know, Jerry Stackhouse was – big with him and, and teaching him certain things, you know, fundamentally defensively. He certainly has the length. He certainly has an NBA body. I just feel like in terms of what they could have done at 14, it felt like Neesmith was the safest pick that they could have done. Yeah. And he's talked a lot about working hard on the defensive end, because if you're a wing in the NBA, you, you got to have that defensive side. You can't really be a liability, especially if you're a guy coming off the bench. Cause yeah. In Brad Stevens' systems, more than anyone, you, you just won't play if you're going to be a liability on that end. The good news is he's not going to kill you, and there is some defensive upside there. He did catch some some crap in the pre-draft process because his lateral movement isn't great. You, for a guy his size, you would like him to move a little bit better side to side. But again, he's not he's not horribly unathletic or anything, and he has NBA size, so there's plenty of defensive upside. And again, if you have a guy like him who's working and focused on that end of the end of the court like I have no doubt that he'll be a decent defender at some point because he seems like a smart kid he seems like a guy who's going to work hard on that end and his frame is already in very good shape compared to a lot of other guys who would be coming out of college after just two years so yeah I I do think they're going to rely on him and it's unfortunate for a guy like Romeo because he would have been thrust into a pretty big role right off the bat here and it's tough you hope that maybe his recovery process gets shortened a little bit. Um, I think he's supposed to get his cast off on Monday or Tuesday this week. I, I know that was the original plan that I heard of uh, about a week ago. So hopefully that goes as planned and he can get a move on on that recovery. But it's really unfortunate. And I do feel for, for Romeo because I think he could have taken advantage of this spot pretty, pretty well. And when you think about Neesmith defensively, at the end of the day, like he's playing on a team with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart on it. Like, you're yeah. not going to be taking the best, the top defensive assignments, my guy. Right. You're going to yeah. you're going to be, you know, in the pecking order. You're going to you're going to be, you know, down the list because Smart's an all-world defender. Tatum very well on his way to being that same player. And, and Jalen, when it comes to on-ball stuff, terrific off the ball. Yeah, he drives me a little crazy. But you know, it's not like he's going to be asked to go out there and guard Kevin Durant or guard a, you know, a Giannis right. or you know, he's going to be guarding. He's not going to even be guarding Chris Milton. He's, he's even further down the rung there. So that's you know, in terms of talking about his problems quote-unquote defensively he's not going to be the primary guy he's just got to be solid you know in, in a very similar like Grant Williams is solid he doesn't yeah. he's not the best defender but he works his ass off and shows up so yeah uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited for the early on season stuff and I'm surprised we've gone this long I kind of did it this way on purpose that we've gone this long without talking about the TPE because that's everybody's favorite topic of discussion of right course now. and you know Danny generates this ginormous trade exception 28 and a half million largest in the history and 
it got a lot of people excited, but also has some people like Matt. Where are you at with this whole thing? Like, are you ashamed that Danny Ainge didn't get more? Or is, like, the TPE the best he reasonably could have gotten? The TPE is the best he could have gotten. I mean, he didn't have – when it comes to the, the trade negotiations, he didn't have any leverage. Like, it's not like he could have forced Gordon to Indiana. Gordon had all the leverage there. So in terms of what he got in this signing trade, yeah, it's totally fine. As, you know, when we're talking about the TPE – Everyone's got to take a, you know, a nice breath in and then breathe out his patience because I know the impatience is going to come, but he's not going to use this anytime soon. And he might use it at the trade deadline. Maybe he waits until draft night to try and give it a go. Maybe it doesn't get used at all. A lot of trade exceptions don't get used, most of them. But I think patience is key with Celtics fans because he's going to, he's been very clear about this. He's going to see how these young guys fill in their roles. He's going to see how the next, couple months play out with the young guys and this current team. And then, you know, if they need something at the deadline, maybe you can try to use it then, but there's no reason to rush into using this. It, it, that's, that's my main thought here. There's, there's no reason. I feel that uh, for some questions, you know, during the, the, the day yesterday and, and yeah. one of the, the big questions was how do you use this? Who do you use it on? And there seems to be some, some traction, at least in the Twitter's world uh, about, uh, some guys they might want to look at, and Aaron Gordon is a guy that keeps coming up. And, you know, uh, this comes from Buckner's Revenge here. Which of the three Magic players would you target with a TP the deadline? You know, uh, uh, Ross, Aaron Gordon, Fournier, even uh, I think Vucevic has been thrown on a little bit. Anybody in the Magic? And even Adam, when Adam and I were prepping for the show, was like, you know, see if he likes Aaron Gordon. Any one of those names kind of tickle your fancy here, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about with the wing depth, I think Evan Fournier has to kind of – call your name a little bit just because of what the Celtics need. Granted, it would be a much different role in Boston than what he's played in Orlando in the past. He's been a starter there um, for the last couple of years. So I don't really know how that would work. Aaron Gordon, uh, I think he's got two years left on his deal, I believe. Um, But those are guys who their price tags do make a lot of sense. You see a lot of people throwing out the, the major, major contracts here that just fit inside of the, inside of the exception, well, then you, you need a lot of contracts leaving the Celtics, so it becomes a little complicated. Um, Terrence Ross is another guy who I saw was thrown out there quite a bit when you're talking about the Magic. You know, you're looking for these guys who might be easy. Um, they're going to be looking to part ways, essentially. Maybe the team might be looking to get rid of Gordon or Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross is kind of um, a little repetitive with Aaron Neesmith's uh, prototype. But out of those guys with the Magic, I think Fournier – is probably the most appealing in my opinion, just because it would be great for wing depth, and that's the Celtics need wings. My problem with with Fournier is going to be, I mean, he's a good shooter, can score yep. defensively. I'm not sure if he'll hold up. He's really kind of a ball stopper. He doesn't, he's not a guy that shares the ball that much. So I, I'm not totally positive that's the best way to go. Again, although you know, getting something is better than getting nothing. Yeah, uh, the Aaron Gordon one intrigues me a little bit because I've. There was always, you know, you go back to the year that he was drafted. You know, he went four. I think uh, Smart went six. Um, there was some rumblings that Danny liked Aaron a little bit back in those days. Yeah. And he, there was that great shot. I think he was, like, sleeping on the tee with a ball in his hand, right? And, uh, like, was like, just, like, passed out because I think he just had a workout with Boston. And, you know, there was some – there's some maybe some untapped upside there. And I think a lot of people were like, wow, this is kind of like a Blake Griffin type of guy who can – kind of fill it up in a couple different ways, a decent passer. If he can hit, hit threes, it'd be a long way for his career. I just – we talk about taking players you – know, in using a, a TP on a guy from the Magic is, is tough because, you know, this team needs experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this team lacks, you know, star power, you know, with, with Tatum and Brown and, and Kemba if he's healthy. They just need experience. And that's the one thing that Tristan Thompson brings them – some legit championship experience. You know, Jeff Teague has been in a lot of playoff games and has played a lot. So, and that's, you know, you go back to last year and look at what they were missing. A lot of people are like, well, they don't have a guy on that team who's been there at all. Like, yeah. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have more playoff success than Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker combined. I mean, yeah. Gordon doesn't have any playoff success at all whatsoever, really. And Kemba, I mean, I give him a break because he's in shark. Charlotte, he was a one-man band out there. It's like, all right, that works for UConn. And when you're trying to, you know, go to the NCAA title game, like that works. 
but when in the NBA and everybody's an a- excellent athlete, it doesn't really work all the time. So, like, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have the most playoff experience of anybody on the team. Bringing in a Tristan Thompson makes a lot of sense. Bringing in a, a, a guy like Jeff Teague makes a lot of sense. You're looking at Orlando's roster. Like, what are we doing here? Like, that, that to me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, look, the stats are great. How is the fit? Right. And do they actually bring what you desperately need? I don't think – I mean, maybe Aaron Gordon out of all the guys, but I don't think any of those names make sense to me. No, I, I think that's I think that's fair a fair way to look at it. I mean, it's tough. A lot of these teams you're looking at with this TP, and it's hard to look at targets for the TP because it's so big. You're basically looking at anyone who's under twenty eight million dollars in salary. Like that's a lot of players. That's a lot of players. So then to try to shrink it down, you look at the teams who, well, maybe they're going to stink halfway through the season, and they're going to be looking to part ways with some salary and maybe bring in some draft picks, and so maybe the magic come up because they they could push to be at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. They could also stink. Who really knows? But Aaron Gordon is a nice, versatile big who, you're right, Celtics fans have always been intrigued with, so naturally his name is going gonna, is gonna to come up. You also have to consider what the Celtics are willing to, to pay because there's probably a decent tag with, with Gordon. They're probably going to have to send some pretty decent assets back in return, whether it's draft picks or whatever, but it'll be interesting to see what the Celtics are willing to part with depending on who they bring in. But um, it's, it's tough with, with a trade exception this big to kind of narrow down targets just because there are so many players that could potentially fall into that. Yeah. And that's an excellent point because everybody, I feel like a lot of people probably are in your mentions. They're in mine. They're in Adam's all like, what do you guys think they're going to do with the TP? It's like, there's so many players that fit under this, there's so everybody, basically right. everybody, like even Giannis before he signs an extension is eligible to get, you know, he's like, makes like, like 26, 27 million. He's eligible for this whole thing. Like, and obviously not going to trade for Giannis. It's not going to happen, right. but every player, like the Marcus Aldridge, I mean, you could go mm-hmm. throughout all the NBA. It's just like, well, you know, you got to wait, you got to hang. And I hate the fact that you have to say like, get to wait and be patient and all that stuff, but you have to wait. Like there are going to be yeah. teams. Like I would look at Houston and say, all right, at some point, that team – I mean, I think it's already happening. Like Harden being out and partying for little baby's birthday, little baby's <laughs> birthday and, and like, missing the first couple of practices of training camp. Um, not great. Just not, not great. great. Not, not great. great. And if they and – if, and if, you know, Houston ends up moving off of him at some point during the season, folks, open fire sale for everybody. And now you're looking at, oh, P.J. Tucker could be – that's a guy or, you know, I, I, as much as people might not like, you know, Gordon, you know, Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon in, yeah. in, in Houston, <laughs> we're talking about a shooter who can fill it up. Yep. I would prefer Eric Gordon to Evan Fournier every single day of the week. You know, like there, there's going to be somebody that expects to be good, but it's not going to be good. And then they're going to want to do something about it. Like, and and I that's, that's out. the key. That's the yeah. key right there is that it's the patience. That's where the patience comes in because using it right now, you don't even let the market play out. You need right. to let the market play out because there's, there could, as you just said, there could be players midway through this season that you had no expectation that they were going to be in this market. Now they are because injuries, whatever, and suddenly they're not as good as they thought. So that's what you just said is the exact key. You got to be patient and you got to kind of let this play out because you don't really know who's going to be in this market to maybe dump someone, dump some salary come the trade deadline. And if they use all of it, and I actually think they might not even use all of it. I think yeah. they'll get, you know, they'll use maybe half and a little bit more. Sure. But if they use all of it, you got to remember this too. Like the guy they get is probably not a guy they're going to have for one year. Right. Yeah. It's probably something they're going to want to have for a while. Like, and that's the, the tough part about this is like, all right, who could you get that fits this description? But not only that, you're willing to sign long-term if you need to or if they have additional years on their contract, you know, have some of that team for And then you got to probably have to pay into the tax mm-hmm. at some point because Tatum's extension is going to kick in at some, you know, relatively shortly. Yeah. You have Brown making a lot of money. You have Kemba making a lot of money. This, this guy is probably going to be making somewhat a decent amount of change. It's probably going to push you into that threshold. So – Again, a lot of you want this to be used right away because that's the way we consume news in the NBA during the offseason. It's just like, I want all the deals done now. And it's <laughs> it's the most fun part. Like, I get it. Everybody loves the NBA offseason because it's so, it's, and people are moving. 
all the time. There's always, but you gotta relax. And it's actually one of, one of Angel's best strengths. And I think Russillo talked about this on his podcast uh, last week about how people like kill Ainge for things. And like, okay, you can kill Ainge for some stuff. You can kill everybody, every GM in the league for stuff. But the one thing about Ainge is he's usually pretty patient in terms of waiting for things to develop. Yeah. And in this particular capacity, you're going to have to be patient because again, somebody is going to be really pissed by the end of the year. And it could be a, a Minnesota. It could be a, a Houston. Um, it could, I, I look out West. I know more than anybody else. You never know. Like Portland made all these moves and everybody likes what they did. It could be Portland. I don't know, but there's going to be somebody available that's going to be helpful for this team. I just don't think trying to poach magic players off that roster is the best way to go, Chris. That's fair. That's totally fair. And again, like they're a team who we expect to be in that market. As you just said, you look to the Western conference, you have no idea who's going to be in that market come the trade deadline because over half the Western conference fully expects to make a run in the playoffs. So there's going to be teams that have a disappointing run and don't meet their expectations and are looking to dump salary at that point. Another factor that plays in here is that the Celtics, it's not like the Celtics are a bad team right now. You know, they essentially are playing like they, they beat the Raptors in the playoffs last year without Gordon Hayward and a very similar roster that they have right now. You know, they bring in Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague, which adds that veteran help. Like They're a very good team, and I know that the Celtics front office is willing to run with this team that they have, even without Kemba for the time being, see how things go, watch the market play out across the league, and then go from there. And that is, without question, the way to, the way to approach this. Yeah, and again, stay – the problem is with people is the Celtics sort of unfortunately have had a lot of success early on in their careers – yeah. And it's like they've gone to, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals a bunch of times, and it's like, oh, no, like this is obviously a problem because everybody's expectations now get warped. Mm-hmm. you got to remember the core of your team, and, and it's obvious the core of the team, if you look at anything social media that the Boston Celtics have put out, the core of the team is Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. Yeah. They're involved with all everything they do promotionally. Just look at it. It's really simple to tell. Um, but just remember this, like – Steph Curry didn't win an NBA title until he was 26, okay? Your two best players are 23 and 24. Settle down. Everything's going to be all right. And if they don't do something right away, it's going to be okay. And then we talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in terms of, like, the young core here. I find this very interesting. I, I Obviously, I think a lot of people have had the same, you know, sort of relative thought. Tatum is the key corner piece here. I mean, Brown is great, but Tatum's a superstar. Or at least the – hypothetical one lock him up to that long-term deal you know max deals and they gave him the player option because look you're gonna have to you're gonna have to give up something for Tatum yeah. unless he's like yeah I want to be here I'll no, give something up and the players you can probably didn't want Tatum to take that that fifth year they probably want to have that for you gotta remember folks like the players union does talk to him about this stuff and and a, a good deal for Tatum means a better deal for somebody else down the road that's some that stuff does factor in here but I find it very interesting. I'm sure you thought the same thing as most smart people did. The signing of Emil Jefferson <laughs> is uh, one where you're like, well, sounds like they're just trying to make Jason Tatum happy and uh, just trying to sign his buddy, much like, you know, you had the Lakers signing KCP a year or two before LeBron gets to be a free agent so they can, you know, get some clutch clients, some clutch money. Um is this a signing, in your opinion, that's like, oh, they're only doing this to make Jason Tatum happy? Or do you think Emil Jefferson actually brings something to the table? Because I I actually felt bad for Emil Jefferson at Duke because he got he was a hugely talented prospect. Yeah. They just kept getting buried and buried by the Marvin Bagleys of the world that they were the next guy coming in that would be a higher-rated higher recruit than Emil. Is there anything to Emil's game? Because I know Weiss wrote a piece about it. I haven't checked it out yet for the athletics about Emil's, you know, uh, and, and what he can do on the floor. But – to me, I have a very hard time seeing him playing anything at all for the Celtics this year. Maybe in Maine, but not in Boston. Yeah, I mean, first off, the the, the layout of Tatum quote tweeting a Emil Jefferson highlight saying "just sign him," and then five days later having the Celtics actually pick him up on a non guaranteed deal was yeah. hilarious. You know, the yeah. your twenty your your twenty two year old cornerstone makes a demand, you meet it five days later. It was that was hysterical, but. I think it's hard because if you look at the roster construction and you're bringing in Emil Jefferson on a non-guaranteed deal, he's essentially battling with Javante Green for the last spot, right? And 
we've said it over and over again in the last half hour, the Celtics have a problem at wing depth. Like they, they need wings. And so it's, it would be tough to give Emil Jefferson that spot over Javante Green. I just don't really see that happening. That being said, Emil Jefferson isn't just some guy who's Tatum's buddy. You know, he's a pretty good big who's a great team defender. He's got good footwork. Like, he's got some nice post moves. He's a guy who could help an NBA team for sure. Um, It's also difficult because this year, as Jared Weiss also reported today, it's not like the Celtics could have brought him in on a deal and then and then send him to Maine and, and have him in the system and keep him with the Red Claws because it doesn't look like the Red Claws are going to be playing this year. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting scenario, and I have no doubt that Emil Jefferson could contribute on an NBA roster as a depth piece. I just don't really think it's the it, it's his he has a place on the Celtics roster just because he's competing with a wing and the Celtics need wings, and I think it really could be that simple. Was it too early to start pandering to Jason Tatum already, or is this about the time you should start kissing? When you got a when you got a twenty two year old who plays like that, you do whatever yeah. he wants. I'm, I, I'm whatever with you. He wants. Yeah, I have no. And it's a non guaranteed spot. It's just money. Who cares? Like whatever. Just do it because look, and everybody wants to do this thing, and I, I don't, I don't personally buy it. But people want to have this discussion about like, oh, is is Danny, you know. Not a, uh, is, are his antics? Was trading Isaiah Thomas really the right move? Are, is he going to scare off free agents? And I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> okay, look, was it a great thing to dump Isaiah Thomas? You know, in terms of optics, no. Was it the right move? Yeah. Did they send him to a team with LeBron? Did they send him to a team with LeBron James on it? Yeah, they did. It's not like they sent him. To, they didn't send him to Orlando. They didn't, they didn't <laughs> send him. You know, to one of the worst teams you could possibly imagine. They sent him to the to a team with LeBron James on it, it's not, and it just didn't work out because he wasn't healthy. And then you know they went, oh well, look at Kyrie left and Al Horford left and, and Hayward left. It's like yeah, two of those examples were the two dumbest contracts handed out during those free agency periods. Philly had to attach two picks to get rid of Horford, and everybody's already laughing at Michael Jordan. So like I don't, this whole thing bothers me in terms of like oh age has a problem for it. No, he doesn't. But if you're trying to keep the, uh, your 22-year-old superstar player happy, you know, pander to him right now is not a bad idea. And again, he's not—he's he, not going to be out. Javante, he's not going to be out. Javante. Because Javante's been in the system. They love him. There's just an obvious reason why he was, you know, picked over Max Struss last year in terms of the guy that fill out the last part of the roster spot. But I, uh, I, I look at it as like a, a PR move for Tatum, and that's fine, and that's okay. And the flip side of that is, like, Jeff Teague, like, the PR move for Jalen Brown. Apparently, Jeff Teague was going to high school games that Jalen Brown was at, like, admiring him. So maybe that's, you know, the counter to that. Because you got to start paying to Jalen Brown, too, because Jalen Brown gave you a deal. That that The contract he signed is – he could have signed for way more money, and it, it looks like a steal already. So I think that, – that- that Jeff Teague signing also could have be could have been pandering to Brad Stevens too, because Brad Stevens has has been the biggest Jeff Teague fan for the last five six years. So that also could have been a little pander to Brad Stevens, which isn't a bad move as well. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think or, I think Emil Jefferson's actually not a bad he's not a bad player. It's it's just a tough spot, right? And I yeah. also think it's valuable for the Celtics and any team at training camp, especially for the Celtics, where they know their G League team probably isn't isn't playing this year, so they can't bring in four or five exhibit 10 contracts, but you do need extra bodies in training camp. Like that's just, a, you need extra guys. And so if you have one guy just happens to be a close friend of Jason Tatum, sure. Why not? Makes yeah. a lot of sense. It's uh, it, the roster crunch at that position too. I mean, you're going to have Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, yeah. Robert Williams. You're going to have Grant Williams there. I mean, I just don't see, yeah, there's no, there's just, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's where as Javante Green, you know, impact in any capacity in the wing spot is going to get you, you know, obviously preferential treatment. Before I get you out of here, I need your best guess for the starting lineup on December 23rd. Starting lineup. I will go with, let's go with, obviously, Tatum, Brown, Daniel Tice, Marcus Smart, and Grant Williams. I'll That's say fine. Grant Williams starts at the four. That's mine too. I, I have a feeling unless unless they want to go Tristan, which I don't think they want to do quite yet. I think they yeah, want. I don't to think he's going to be anyway. ready. I don't think he'll be ready yeah. to jump into the starting lineup. Yeah. So I, I agree with you on that. I think that's. I think again we can talk about this until we're you know blue in the face. But Smart's going to start at the one, quote unquote. Uh, Brown, Tatum are your two wing guys. Again, Grant is 
whatever you want to classify him yeah. as. And Hybrid Tice, four or five. And people want to give Tyson a hard time. I'm not about that life anymore. I'm going to be totally honest with you about that. I was a, a uh, I was critical of Tice early last year, but when you consider what his contract is. He's really unbelievable. And they're, and they're gamble on like, yeah, we're going to pay centers like nine million max a year. And we're only paying Tristan nine million because that's the, the, the exception that, that mm-hmm. we're worth. Like Tyson five million dollars is an absolute steal. Like, is he amazing? No, is he a little undersized? Yeah. But what does he do? Stretches the floor a little bit, plays his ass off on both ends, right? Is switchable defensively and the seal. One of the greatest plays in the Celtics playbook. It's actually right. noted as like the Boston screen. I forget who is it Miami or is it Toronto that calls it the Boston screen? Like that seal that Tice does is something that other teams are starting to emulate. And he's if you watch other teams try and do it, and you watch like Grant try and do it, because obviously they're trying to get Grant to do it as well. Not everybody's good at that. And that is a valuable skill for a guy like Jason Tatum, who uses that particular uh play routinely to get either to the line or get to the basket. Like it's, yeah, the the value hard. you get the value you get Tice at at five million a year is just yeah. insane. It's it's insane and and that lineup that we just read off that's a really good defensive lineup. Like that's a really really good defensive lineup, and we know Brad loves that because he's a defensive minded coach and and I think that is a good way to approach the early season non Kemba minutes here moving forward. And then as Tristan Thompson gets healthy, works his way into the system, you can work him in. And go kind of matchup by matchup, and you you tweak the starting lineup as you go. That's Forbes. It's Chris Granham, formerly of CLNS, formerly of Essen, now at Forbes, joining us the very first time. Chris, appreciate you coming on the show with me, helping us out. Uh, great show. You were great. And check out Chris's stuff at Forbes.com. This is the Pritchard story. This is on. Actually, it'll make you a bigger Pritchard fan because there's so many levels and layers to him. He's had a ton of success, high school, collegiate level. Um, a lot of the stories in that story about his like Oregon legend um, is actually quite interesting. Again, you'll learn about how he's such a hard worker. Like he'll dribble till his fingers bleed. Like he's just a he's a he's a hard worker. He's kind of a hard ass, which I, which I like. And this team desperately needs. Don't forget, folks. This show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today for your exclusive sign-up bonus. We'll be back next week. Adam, I think, will be with me. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But, Chris, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Appreciate it, man.